You're listening to the Boogeyman's Closet Podcast. Explicit language and spoilers ahead. You've been warned. And we are back for yet another episode of the Boogeyman's Closet. As always, I am Mike Alvarez. Maurice Gilver. Unfortunately, Susie can't join us today. She's having some connection issues with her at-home setup. Uh, but we do have a special guest joining us again today. It's Sam. Hey, thank you for joining us. <laughs> um, now, I'm going to go ahead and, and just kick this right off the bat uh, so the listeners yeah. know. I am coming off of COVID, and our uh, lovely Sam here, unfortunately, has been hit with some kind of illness today. So there's going to be a lot of coughing, snorking, sneezing, and uh, some some pauses where we mute out to blow our nose and stuff. So <laughs> Definitely. Some coughing. <laughs> just to kind of give listeners a heads up, this might not be uh, our, our best performance because two of us are ill still. <laughs> so, but, um, but yeah, we I mean, are... Reese okay. is sniffling, too. True, true. He's got them little allergies bugging him, <laughs> and you know? So we're, it's, we're it's a little sniffle brigade tonight. But we are continuing our month of Mike's Picks with uh, episode 210, Pontypool, from 2008. Uh, it's an hour and 33 minutes, directed by Bruce McDonald, who we would know from Queer as Folk, My Babysitter's a Vampire, Degrassi the Next Generation, Hellions, Bitten, Dark Matter, and Creeped Out. Um, basically he's done, he's done a lot of television work and a lot of like, uh, streaming series work, but not a ton of movies. I love and, some, some Degrassi. So I was gonna say, I, I knew you were a fan of Degrassi. That's why I was like, yeah, yeah. let me put that on there. Um, now <laughs> Hellions, unfortunately, is a movie that I watched because of this. It's not good. Like Hellions is not a good movie. Um, I really wanted to like it cause I like this movie so much, but it's yeah, it's not not good. But uh, let's go around the table and see what everyone thinks about this flick. Sam, as you are our guest, it's customary we start with you. So, what are your thoughts? So there was a lot of parts of this that I didn't remember from the first watch when I saw it when it first came out, but that kind of came back now, and I was like, ah, oh, I don't remember that. And then this time, I watched past the credits for like that end scene <laughs> that yep. doesn't make any freaking sense at all. Nope. I was like, what? When I was listening through the credits, the credits were great. Like, you're hearing radio, you're hearing people calling in, you're hearing discussions, you're kind of hearing, like, where it might be going next, you know, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. But then the end shot, I'm like, what? <laughs> it, it felt almost like something that belonged in Sin City. Yeah, totally. Especially with the color and everything, too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but isn't that, like, I thought this was a very interesting film. Oh yeah, definitely. No, I'm I am definitely a, a fan of this story. But uh, before we get into that, uh, Maurice, what are your thoughts on this? Was this your first viewing? Yep, first. <clears throat> oh wow. Okay. So what do you uh, think? I'm gonna have to say I not into it. I could really? not get into it. I thought it was huh. I thought it was pretty boring. To be honest. Okay. Um. But I mean, I don't, I don't like hate it. Like, I'm not gonna like talk shit about it. 
because I don't think it was like a bad movie. I just I was having a hard time staying interested in it. Okay. So it's no it follows, but uh <laughs> <laughs> it's definitely not it follows. Uh but yeah, I mean I don't know. I I I was trying and I just uh couldn't get into it. And as a matter of fact the whole end part is there something that happens at the end after the credits? <laughs> yeah, there. Yeah. It's, oh, see, I I turned it off. <laughs> it, you're okay. That's fine. <laughs> yeah, it it feels more like some kind of uh, like almost like test footage that they shot just for funsies and decided. Yeah, like a, you, you know, yeah, like something they were like, you know what? Let's just throw this at the end of the movie just for fun because it it literally has zero to do with the film. Oh, okay. It, it, it's it's just it's a. Uh, uh, whatchamacallit, uh, Stephen McCaddy and Lisa Houle just doing this weird bit and mm-hmm. then it, it when it ends it just says Finn <laughs> and it's like, the fuck was that? It's so bizarre. <laughs> and it's um, like shot in like red and black and gray. Yeah, it starts Ooh. off like that Sin City black and white and then kind of mutates into like, almost like what, if you remember the uh, Sin City comics that were the mm-hmm. hard black and white and then some of them were like a little bit of color with the black mm-hmm. and white. It kind of had that vibe, like reds and yellows and stuff to it. Um, it was strange. It was very strange. And the this was the first time that I watched that. Because uh, the, the first time I watched hey. the movie, I listened to the credits and did not stick around. Yeah. <laughs> so, <clears throat> but... Uh, yeah, I'll I'll jump in and say like I am definitely a fan of this movie. Uh, I like the concept because it it is unique. It's a very unique concept. It's something that we have seen before, but not done in this way. Um, the plot of this reminds me a lot of movies like The Signal, um, or Stephen oh, King's yeah. The Cell, uh, or even I mean, and I know it's 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 not the same thing, but it reminds me a lot of The Crazies. Not because of the way the virus is, but how the people react, like how they're just erratic and not making any sense and, you know, exhibiting behavior that you would deem to be crazy. Um, So I, I like I like those types of infection movies where you have to question, like, what the fuck is actually happening? Like, what kind of virus is this? And um it's funny because I almost put the signal on here instead of this movie because I oh, like I love that one. I know. Right. It's such a good one. But I like both flicks for, for different reasons. And I felt like, uh, you know, the signal we could probably get on in another month. So uh, I was like, what the fuck? I'll throw Pontypool on here again because I tried to get it on here once before and it only got like two votes. Um, I definitely have like one big like complaint. Mm-hmm. Is that they literally had the doctor from Ground Zero sitting in the radio box with them? Did they ask him any relevant questions? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> Why? I mean, now hold on. To be to be <laughs> fair, to be fair, they did almost immediately talk about how it's in the speech, and they were like, "We need to stop talking." Yeah. So yeah. I mean, yeah, they did they, come to that. And they were trying to figure it out still. So it was like, I mean, I could see why they wouldn't be talking that much just because it's like, well, we know that if we continue to talk, it it could get us too. So, yeah, but uh, I do like the doctor. I thought the doctor was a great character. Um, 
my my main complaint with this is that we never really get a definite of what happened like what started this how did it become a virus you know like is this something man-made is this something from nature what is this um which i feel like he could have answered because obviously it started something dealing with people getting mad outside his lab and something he was working on well, no, 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 because remember, he was saying he, he wasn't working on it. He was he was treating patients who were exhibiting the symptoms. He was just a patient. Oh, he wasn't okay. or not a patient. He was a doctor. He wasn't a scientist. OK, because um, how they were saying it started outside his lab. I figured maybe it was something that leaked from his lab. Oh, no, no, like, it wasn't a lab. It wasn't a lab it, in there. But oh, it, was okay. a, it was a doctor's office, like a, a like a, um, a, pre, a like a, a your personal practitioner type of thing, because um, they were saying like at his doctor office in the middle of town. So I, I, it sounds to me like it was, you know, he's just like your personal doctor who you would go get a checkup with and all these people were crowding around his building. Oh, see, I saw this because a small town, the doctor and the lab might be in the same place, you know, so mm. maybe he was experimenting on something with his patients that caused, you know, that. See, I didn't, That's I didn't know what I thought. Yeah, see, I didn't get that at all, only because, like, he was so confused on what it was. Yeah. And, and he was talking about, like, how he'd seen this, he's been seeing this behavior all week, but he didn't know what it was. And then, like, when things got violent, that's when he got the fuck out of there. Mm-hmm. So, but, yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely an interesting concept, and I feel like this is going to be one of those films where we end up talking a lot about the idea more so than the movie because it is such a cerebral movie and it is going to be hard to, I mean, I did write it down beat by beat, but it's going to be hard to go through it beat by beat. So we'll we'll probably end up doing, you know, like jumping around a little bit, but uh, before we do that, let's get into the cast real quick. It's a pretty short cast, but we have Grant Mazzy played by Stephen McCaddy, who I fucking love this guy. He's in everything. Like he's in so many TV shows and he always plays an interesting character. Um, And I, he was perfect for this because he's got such a, absolutely fucking perfect radio voice like holy hell his voice is great <laughs> i could listen to that guy read me the phone book um <laughs> but he's got he was in uh, tales from the dark side the twilight zone seinfeld um then he was in basketball 300 shoot 'em up septic man torment the strain orphan black the remake of death wish nightmare alley the guy is in a ton of stuff um and then sydney uh Breyer, played by lisa hool who is his real life wife um she was in seinfeld haven and flashpoint then we have Laura Land Drummond, played by Georgina Riley. She was in My Babysitter's a Vampire. Uh, Eddie, the Sleepwalking Cannibal, which just sounds interesting. Uh, Murdoch Mysteries and Quantum Leap, the new Quantum Leap. Um, and then we have Dr. Mendez, played by Hrant Alanak. He was in Friday the 13th, the series, The Twilight Zone, Billy Madison, Dirty Work, and My Babysitter's a Vampire. Um, so for anyone who is listening to this and doesn't know what the fuck we're talking about, the basic premise is a radio host and his team are trapped within a radio station in a small Ontario, in the small Ontario town of Pontypool as a strange viral outbreak takes place. Um, so it's very claustrophobic. This film, it reminded me of stuff like the thing where it's, you're focusing mostly on your main characters dealing with something that's out there. Like, we don't know what's out there, but they're dealing with the stress of it. So it's very much, you know, an isolated film. Um, we do open up with a very long, uh, co- like, monologue type piece. It's 
Grant on the radio talking. And um, while this is happening, while he's talking, because I'm going to I'm going to read out this whole thing uh, while he's talking, the letters of the movie, like the title, are starting to appear on screen. And I guarantee you it was not a coincidence that the word typo, which is in Pontypool, appears first um, because of how this movie deals with language. So I thought that was very interesting. Um, But we hear Grant on the radio. He said, Mrs. French's cat is missing. The signs are posted all over town. Have you seen Honey? We've all seen the posters, but nobody has seen Honey the cat. Nobody. Until last Thursday morning, when Miss Colette Piscine swerved her car to Miss Honey the cat as she drove across a bridge. Well, this bridge, now slightly damaged, is a bit of a local treasure and even has its its own fancy name, Pont de Flac. Now, Colette, that sounds like culotte. That's panty in French. And piscine means pool. Panty, pool. Flac also means pool in French. So Colette piscine in French is panty pool. Drives over the pont de flac, the pont de pool, if you will. To avoid hitting Mrs. French's cat that's been missing in panty pool. Pont de pool, panty pool, panty pool, pont de flac. What does it mean? Well, Norman Mailer had an interesting theory that he used to explain the strange coincidences in the aftermaths of the JFK assassination. In the wake of huge events, after them and before them, physical details, they spasm for a moment. They sort of unlock. And when they come back into focus, they suddenly coincide in a weird way. Street names and birth dates, middle names, all kinds of superfluous things appear related to each other. It's a ripple effect. So what does it mean? Well, it means something is going to happen, something big. But then again, something's always about to happen. So that opening is so confusing the first time you watch this. But then once you kind of know what the film is about and you go back, that opening sends chills up my spine. Because <laughs> mm-hmm. the way he like jumps around with the, the repeating, the, re- the repetition, it's like, oh, shit. That's creepy because, again, you know how the infection works once you watch the movie. Um, so now we cut in uh, on Grant Mazzy driving to work in the early morning snow. Uh, he's arguing with his agent, an event who he eventually fires and throws his cell phone aside, commenting, good, now we're both in the same boat. So right off the bat, we know Grant is losing his job, and that's going to kind of set the tone for his character throughout the film. Uh, he stops at a stoplight and his phone starts ringing. So he goes to grab it and a woman, uh, um, and when he does, a woman slams on the passenger window and begins to babble incoherently. Like she's repeating something over and over, but he can't hear what she's saying. Grant tells her he can't hear her and goes to roll down the window, but she backs away muttering. He calls out, Hey, who are you? And in the darkness, we can hear several people repeating those words yelling, Hey, Hey, who are you? Who are you? Like over and over again. That creeped me the fuck out the first time I watched it, and it's especially creepy after that. Um, But Grant is confused as hell and continues on to work. Once he's at work, we meet uh, Laurelan Drummond, the station technician who is also an army vet who served in Afghanistan. They talk about that a couple of times. Um, She gives Grant a bottle of booze that he asked for, and he tells her to find all the info she can on day-to-day 911 calls, such as like false alarms, hangups, etc. What are the the stats? And then he gets into his sound booth and begins begins doing his morning DJ radio show type thing. Um, So he asks his listeners, when is it a good time to call 911? Mentioning that he had a strange encounter on his way into work. 
And, uh, you know, he's looking, when would you call 911? Uh, he also introduces Laura Lann and his producer, Sidney Breyer, and the three get to make in the morning show. We have our little chit-chat, weather talk, and the traffic report from Ken Loney, the man in the sky and the sunshine chopper, which is kind of funny when we get to his reveal. <laughs> but... Uh, Eventually, Grant reports on this weed growing operation in a suburban area of town and begins waxing on about how dangerous it is for the families in the area and how the dealers have weapons and traps to protect their operations. All the while, Cindy is yelling at him to shut up and get on with the list of school closures. But as stated before, Grant clearly doesn't give a fuck. So she ends up cutting him off and switching to the report while Sydney and Grant argue. Um, so basically, Grant he knows he's he's done he's just like fuck it i'm gonna enjoy making this show i'm gonna make this show how i want to make this show and sydney it's her job to keep the show on track so now we cut to a flyer for honey the cat being lost uh in the distance we can hear one of the mocking voices from earlier repeating who are you over and over again back to grant on the air he tells the story of the uh the woman from his drive this morning and asks the listeners what do i do do i call 911 while this is going on, Laura Land takes a call for the show. We never hear what the caller said or wanted to say, but she looks confused and then hangs up the phone. We also hear on the police scanner about a situation. Uh, it's a possible hostage situation. So strange things are afoot in the town of Pontypool. Um, also, this is just a side note that I thought was interesting. I forgot this movie takes place on Valentine's Day, and we're recording this a day before Valentine's Day. So <laughs> I thought that was kind of funny. <laughs> Even though, <coughs> oh, pardon me, we uh, this would have come out this week, the week of Valentine's, but I unfortunately got, I got the damn COVID, so we, we postponed this a week, but uh, that was not planned. We did not plan to get this out on Valentine's Day, or Valentine's <laughs> week, as it were. Just a funny coincidence. But uh, so Sydney tells Laura Land that there's nothing being reported on a hostage hostage situation just yet. So to sit on it and not give it to Grant, Laura Land just smiles as she already sent it into the sound booth for him to read. So Grant is on the phone with a guy named Gordy because, of course, he is. It's Canada. <laughs> and he's waxing on and on about how there should be another number, maybe 912, you know, stuff for uh, that's not quite an emergency, but you still need the cops for Grant Grant sees the report and cuts the guy off, telling him, "Yeah, yeah, yeah it's a great idea. You should be running this, running the country." <laughs> and then he's like, "Moving on to this breaking story," and starts reporting on the hostage situation. Uh, Sydney is none too happy about the report. Grant goes on and on about how everyone involved is most likely drunk, including the police. <laughs> he then reports that the situation. It is Canada, so that's quite possible. This is true, and he he does say that it's the end of ice fishing season, so everyone is uh is drunk out there. But it's funny because he goes on and on about how uh the the situation is almost being is almost resolved as the two men who took people hostage ended up having zero weapons, and the hostages themselves just fled fled the scene when the cops got in. So he left. I thought that I thought that part was funny. I, the oh, the yeah. whole story, the yeah. fake story. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but he he laughs it off and comments that once again how everyone's drunk they then cut back to ken loney for the traffic report sydney comes into the dj booth to talk to grant uh, about the story and tells him that it was completely uncalled for as the two cops that he had mentioned are actually alcoholics and trying to keep their jobs 
she tells him that one of the cops is her ex-brother-in-law. Grant looks almost sorry. He's like, oh. (laughs) (laughs) She then goes on to tell him that uh, Ken Loney isn't actually in a chopper. That the sunshine chopper is actually his Dodge Dart. That he sits on a hill and plays sound effects and reports on the traffic. But the people of the town are happy to have him up there in the sky. They don't want to know the truth about it. They like it the way it is. So she basically has to remind him that a small town doesn't necessarily always want hard-hitting stories. They want information that's going to help them through their day. So in other words, cut the shit and get on with the school closings. <laughs> so it's like, yeah, it makes sense. <laughs> How did but, he not know that the I, weather guy isn't really in a chopper? I think just because they, you know, they always had him call in. I don't think he actually um, knew Ken. Oh, maybe, yeah. Because I got, I kind of got the impression that Grant was a bit of a loner, because um, he he's always he's very prickly towards Sydney, and even though Sydney seems to like you know like the guy, um, he doesn't seem to know too much about his coworkers. So I, I think he's kind of that guy that comes in, does his job, talks a bunch of shit, and goes home. Yeah, you know, unfortunately, I I know plenty of people like that. <laughs> but anyway, um. Grant understands and tells her how much he hates winter. Uh, Sydney, he's like, you know, I, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I just really hate winter. And Sydney tells him that she thinks everyone, uh, everyone does, and he goes, no, not like me. I feel like I'm living in the basement of the world. It's so cold and so dark. Like she could tell he's kind of dealing with some shit here. Um, so you know, she she kind of feels bad for him and tells him she's like, all right, you know what? If uh, we get more information on that story, you can report it. So kind of trying to meet him halfway. Um, so we see some time has passed. Like the, the, I forgot to mention, this was like at 6 a.m. He's, he's doing the morning show. Uh, this is now 9.30 in the morning, and Grant is trucking along with the morning show while Sydney and Laura Land are talking. Uh, Sydney is telling Laura Land that the chief of police is pissed that they broke the story and wants them to just drop it. She tells him that something bad is happening out there, but she doesn't know what. Laura Land gets a call from Ken, and they rush to put him on the air. The report is about a large group of people who have gathered outside of Dr. John Mendez's office and uh, to seemingly protest, and the crowd is getting unruly. Grant gives it over to Ken to report what he sees. He reports hundreds of people packed in and around the building, swarming it. Suddenly, the wall of the building collapses and people are getting trampled. Ken is beginning to panic. He then reports on a convoy of military trucks and choppers in the area and says he has to get out of there and they lose him. Now, this is something I really like about this movie. And I don't know how you guys felt about this, but this very much reminded me of like a radio drama, like, so like much like a podcast, like being told a story. Cause you weren't seeing any of the chaos. All you're seeing is how Grant and Laurel and Sydney are reacting to the chaos that they're hearing about. So I like love that, that it was like filmed, you know, basically in the radio studio the whole time, but you're hearing at what's going on. Right. And I found I found that so fascinating because it was it asks you to use your imagination It it asks you to fill in the blanks that they're providing. So, like, they're telling you this story and they think about how low budget this had to be. But they oh, did yeah. it so well because like, yeah, you're you're just seeing the reactions of these three people, but they're describing these horrific events that are happening. And you're you know, your mind is filling in all the blanks. I, I just think it's wonderfully done. 
Um, like right now, I can think, I can like visualize what like Ken's about to tell us. You know how the people follow him, and then he gets stuck, and all that. Yeah, like you can, you can like see it in a way, even though like I didn't see it in the movie. In in my brain, I'm still thinking of you know him being in that room and that kid, and yep. <laughs> It's it's so the way they describe things is so vivid that it really does kind of help you to to create that image in your own mind. Um, but the fact that they they were able to make it creepy, like that's what got me because there was a couple points where I was like, oh, that's fucking creepy. Um, and all they were doing is talking. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. I was like, so I, I think that's a testament to the story because it, it's it's very it's very hard to pull that off in film. Like it's easy to pull it off in like a book in prose, but when you have just actors giving dialogue to be able to pull off that much uh, unseen information, it, that's a challenge. Um, but yeah, so <laughs> when uh, basically when, when, Oh, I'm sorry. I, I lost my place. Oh yeah. So, okay. So after Ken gives the report, they end up losing him. The trio look understandably worried, and Grant reports that whatever is happening out there is only happening five kilometers from where the radio station is. So the doc's office is pretty close. Grant comes out of the booth to find out what the fuck is happening, but Sidney tells him that they can't get any official report just yet, and that they can't get a hold of Ken again. Um, In the meantime, the band that that he was supposed to interview, Lawrence and the Arabians... (laughs) have filed into the office for their interview and performance. I love that Boyd Banks is playing an Osama Bin Laden character. (laughs) It's like, really? They got Boyd Banks for that? Like, I love that dude, but what the fuck? Um, So that that whole scene was weird. Yeah. Grant is is pissed telling Sydney that the listeners will be expecting an update, not bullshit. (laughs) And he points at the band. She calms him down, assuring him that as soon as they have a story to tell, they'll tell it. In the meantime, continue the show. Grant begrudgingly agrees, and he brings Lawrence and the Arabians into the sound booth for their little performance. So they finish up their song, and uh, one of the girls in the band looks confused. She mutters that she can't remember how it ends. She then says, it's not called Lawrence of the Table. No, not anymore. And then they look at her, and she gets stuck trying to say something and just starts repeating pra over and over again she's going pra 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 until her bandmates stop her so that was our first like visualization of somebody that's infected um after the band clears out sydney thanks grant for buying them some time and tells him that they have an eyewitness on the phone grant goes to put the guy on the air and we just hear him screaming get out before the line goes staticky and they lose him Sydney uh, still Sydney still can't get any official word and is beginning to think people are just fucking with them. Grant is still trying to get an eyewitness to call and tell them what the fuck is going on out there. Some time passes and they're getting all sorts of calls about deaths, mobs of people, and all sorts of insanity happening in Pontypool. But the one thing in common is everyone is speaking in gibberish, repeating words and sounds. It all it's all nonsense. Uh, Grant reports that while they've had plenty of eyewitness accounts, they've received no official statement whatsoever on the incident. They then receive a call from Nigel Healing of the BBC. (laughs) And Sydney patches him through to Grant. 
Nigel asks him what the hell's happening there, and if it's true that the French-Canadian military have put up blockades in and around Pontypool, not allowing anybody in or out of the town. Nigel also hints that it could be political, uh, citing the country's history of terrorist and separatist movements. <laughs> Grant tells him that none of that is true. Nigel turns around and asks him to explain what they've been reporting on all morning. Grant tells him, to be honest, they just don't know. No one has gotten out ahead of this, and they've received no official statement. So Nigel's like, there you have it. No one in Pontypool knows exactly what's going on, blah, blah, blah. And he continues his report. Um, after Grant gets off the phone with Nigel, Laureland tells him that Ken is on the line and patches him through. Ken is terrified. He's hiding out in an old grain silo and beginning to get, uh, and begging for them to get the cops. He tells them how he was chased in there, that people were trying to kill him. He begins crying, telling Grant the things he saw today will ruin the rest of his life. He goes on to tell him that some of the people out there were cannibals, some were naked. He starts freaking out, describing an attack that he's watching as a crowd pulls two people from a van, biting them and dragging them out with their teeth. He then starts describing how they're pulling the people apart, suddenly panics, saying one is coming toward him, and we hear a large crash and grunting. After the commotion, Ken tells him what's going on, saying that a person just crashed through the wall. He looks down, he goes, it's Mary Galt's teenage son, Jesse. And he goes, and he has no hands. I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah. yeah. And Ken tells him that Jesse is just lying on the floor, staring at him, mumbling something. And he says, I'm going to get closer to hear what he's saying. And Grant warns him, he's like, no, 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 stay away. Don't go near him. And then suddenly we get a loud, a loud static jump scare. Someone speaking in French hijacks the radio signal and begins broadcasting a message. The message then cuts out and they have their signal back, but they've lost Ken. Immediately they begin working on translation of the message. Which reads, For your safety, please avoid contact with close family members and restrain from the following. All terms of endearment, such as honey or sweetheart. Avoid talk with young children and rhetor rhetorical discourse. Um, for, great, uh, look, for greater safety, please avoid the English language. Please do not translate this message. Oops. <laughs> they just translated it on the air. You should have started with that. <clears throat> I know, right? Do not translate this message. Don't end with yeah. that. <laughs> yeah, seriously. <laughs> Here's a message in a language you can't understand. You got to translate real quick, but well, the most important part is at the end. <laughs> it's like, what the fuck, people? But while this is going on, Sydney gets a call from the chief of police who tells her that un until further notice, they're not allowed to leave the station, that all of Pontypool is under quarantine. Just then, Ken gets back on the line. Ken reminds Grant that he's there with Mary Galt's teenage son, he describes the state of his body, how it's broken and torn, how his hands are missing. His wrists are just stumps. Ken tells Grant that he needs to hear something and reminds him that this is coming out of a large teenager. Ken holds his phone up to Jesse and we hear this tiny baby voice crying out, help me, mommy, help me. Ken gets back on the phone and tells Grant how he's not sure just how the hell Jesse is doing it, that it sounds like there's a child trapped in his breath. Grant is shaking all to hell. <laughs> and understandably so, because that shit was creepy. Yeah. Yeah, it was. You know, it's like there's something about, like, a grown-ass adult speaking like a baby that is just really fucking creepy. Um, like Jason Voorhees? 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so Sydney tells uh, Laura Land to cut to the school closings and goes to check on Grant, who is freaked. He tells her he's having a hard time believing that any of this is real. Grant asks Sydney if it's all a joke, some kind of sick joke. She tells him that it's not and the people are actually dead. He gets up and goes to leave. Sydney and Laureland try to stop him, but he freaks out, telling him not to fuck with him and storms out the front doors. Sydney yells, don't you walk out on me. Grant pokes his head outside and looks around and all he sees is snow. Laureland notices something and grabs Grant and yanks him back inside, slamming the door and locking it. So now I love this because we don't actually see what she sees. We just see how she reacts. And once she slams the door and she says, well, I think we have an enemy, sir. Suddenly you hear all these people pounding on the on the door outside and they start yelling, uh, don't you walk out on me, Grant. So they're repeating Sydney's words. Sydney and freaks out. We see her like military kick in. Oh, yeah. Laura. No, yeah. She's yeah. she's like, oh, no, no, no. Um, but no, Sydney is like spazzing at this point, being like, why are they why are they repeating my words? Why are they talking like that? Um Grant calms her down by asking her about her kids. He's like, where, where are your kids right now? Are they safe? What's going on? And she's like, tells him basically that they're in the city with her ex. So yes, they're, they're good and safe. Um, and then he gets her to focus back on the show. He wants, he basically, as he goes, what's up next? What do we got to do? What, what's going on? He's basically pulling her back from the brink. And uh, she's like, uh, uh, we have obituaries next. He's like, all right, great. She goes, but we don't have anything pre-recorded. He goes, we'll do it live. <laughs> so, he gets in the in the booth and starts reading out the obituaries. Now, this part I found really creepy because yeah. we get a montage, a black and white montage of various people throughout the town, you know, old, young, everywhere in between. And Grant is reading out the the person who died as well as how they died, like who killed them and who that person also killed. So it's like you just see this like spider web of murder throughout the town from various families and it's like oh that's that's fucking disturbing like there was a lot of people dead but i'm gonna pause for one moment guys oh the joys of getting over an illness coughing and sneezing over so here. my question is here if they're having a hard time having anyone call in this show to try to describe what's happening and stuff how did they get this list of obituaries that people have died in this day well, keep in mind, they did say after they, they were asking for people to call in, they, he goes, we got plenty of eyewitness reports, but nothing confirmed. So oh, okay. there was a lot of people calling in, you know, being like, you know, so-and-so just killed so-and-so. I can't believe what I'm seeing. And like, because he does uh, mention about like, you know, are the all these people messing with us? <laughs> so because they keep talking about murder. So, yeah, I think what it was is that like all morning after they you know, after the story started to break all morning long, he's been getting all these calls and none of them seemed real because they're so outlandish. Yeah. Especially saying so-and-so killed, you know, family members and whatnot. Yeah. Like the one, it was like the, the two older women who were in the barber shop. I guess they, they ran the little barber shop and it talks about how the, the one woman killed the other and then killed like, there was like these four uh, little girls that were her granddaughters and then there was like some guy that she killed and then they were like and that guy killed this guy and like it was just this chain of people yeah um it was just like it's creepy now during this montage there there was uh we cut back to sydney and laurel talking and at, at some point sydney cut her hand i don't see when she did it i don't know if it was when she was trying to stop grant leaving out of the 
the uh, radio station, but she cuts her hand at one point, and Laurel's like, oh, we got to patch that up. So we see them talking while Laurelan is bandaging her hand, um, and Sydney asks Laurelan if she ever encountered anything this strange while she was in Afghanistan. Laura uh, tells her no, but she says, I believe the situation I brought back in my head. And Sydney looks at her for a moment and goes, but what do you mean? Laurel Ann looks confused and goes, I don't really know. I- I'm going to go see if Mr. Mazzy's missing, m- missing, m- m- missing. Mr. Mazzy's missing because he's not here. Sydney looks confused and tells Laurel Ann that Grant is in the sound booth. Laurel nods going, yeah. And then a teapot in the kitchen starts to whistle. So Laurel Ann gets up. She's like, I, I got to go. And she walks away. Sydney goes and takes the teapot off the burner. And when she does, she hears Laurel Ann imitating the sound and looking distant. So yeah, that, part was, that part was creepy. Oh, yeah. God, yeah. Well, I like just when you start to see her start to lose it where she's saying, you know, I'm going to go see if Mr. Mazzy's miss, missing, missing. And she keeps repeating herself. That yeah. like weird like tick that we see with her. That's where I start. I started getting like the. The hackles on my neck standing up. I'm like, oh, I don't like this. You know? <laughs> oh, no, not her. <laughs> right? And then when, when she's imitating the teapot sound, I'm like, oh, fuck. They got one in the office with them. It's like, oh, that's creepy. But suddenly a Which window. makes sense if she was taking all the calls all morning. You know? That, that's she's a picking really... up more of the audio than anybody else's. That's a really good fucking point. I didn't even that didn't even click with me. Like I never even questioned how did she get infected. I was just like, oh well, people in the town are getting infected, so like it's it's just starting to spring up. But you're right, it passes. We find out here that it passes through language. So if she was taking all the calls all morning, that yeah, that 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 makes fucking perfect sense. I didn't even think of that. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad you said that. I got um, your back, bro. Yeah, right. <laughs> But uh, suddenly a window opens and we see Dr. John Mendez climbing in. He quickly tells Sydney not to be alarmed and introduces himself. Then he sees Laurel Ann making the teapot sound and tells Sydney they have to go and not talk because she'll follow their voices. He then noti- notices the sound booth and exclaims, lifeboat, and grabs Sydney and heads over. Laurel stops making the noise and tries to talk again, but it's gibberish about missing Mazzy. She then clasps her hand over her mouth like, what the fuck am I saying? Sydney and Dr. Mendez get into the booth. Sydney introduces him to Grant, and Laurel pounds on the door trying to get in. Mendez tells him, your friend is sick. She's hunting us even if she doesn't know it yet. Yeah, that's not creepy or anything. <laughs> Sydney wants to broadcast uh, into the room to talk to Laurel, but uh, Mendez tells her to keep, the so- to keep the sound in the booth, and Laurel Ann might forget where they are. So to stay quiet, and then she, like Laurel Ann walks away, or Loreland looks around and then walks away. Uh, Grant and Dr. Mendez get back on the air to talk about the situation. Suddenly, Loreland begins slamming herself into the window, o- the window of the booth over and over again. Dr. Uh, Mendez explains that he's seen this behavior, that she needs a victim. He goes, the infected suicide into another victim. And as she doesn't have one yet, I'm not sure what she's going to do. So when he said that they suicide into another victim, I didn't understand what that meant until a little bit further along. So basically, because they have to infect somebody, but it kills them. So it's like like we see the thing where the the young boy jumped into the room with Ken trying to infect him, but he broke his body in the process and couldn't do it and eventually dies because of it. So... 
they're trying desperately to spread the virus before it kills them. Which is like, that's fucking creepy. Um, But yeah, so Grant goes on to uh, goes on the air to explain that Laurelan has been infected. Meanwhile, Sydney gets a call from Ken and they get him back on the air. Uh, Once he's on the air, Laurelan seems to start hunting the sound in the room. Ken explains that Jesse is now dead and that he's in the grain silo all alone. He tells him that he keeps hearing crowds pass by where he's hiding and they're all chanting gibberish like watch out for U-boats. He then says it's a symbol of the disorder. And Dr. Mendez says, symbol? You mean symptom, right? Ken starts repeating, symbol, sample, sample, sim- simple sample. I, and then he goes, I have a problem. So we realize Ken is now infected too. Uh, Dr. Mendez tells him that he's gone as Ken repeatedly just starts saying simple, simple, simple over and over again. Uh, they say their goodbyes to Ken and hang up. Grant looks to Sydney and apologizes for the loss, stating that he knew that they were good friends. Now, this part's fucked up because she goes, no, he wasn't a friend. Ken Loney was a pedophile. I mean, not really a pedophile. We just never let our kids go anywhere near him. It's just I've, I've known him for 17 years and it's just such a long time. And then she goes, oh, shit, that wasn't a very good obit, was it? <laughs> I cracked up while I was like, what, where did that come from? Ted Loney is a pedophile. Like Jesus Christ. <laughs> um, but like, I get what they're trying to show here that she's starting to break down and it's possibly infected, but damn, that was random as fuck. Mm-hmm. So Dr. Mendez notices Laura land staring at them. Uh, we see her mouth is bloody and she's muttering silently. Grant begins describing what he's seeing, and Mendez asks, you're sure she can't hear us? And Grant assures him that they, she absolutely can't. But then he looks at Mendez and goes, can they read lips? And Mendez considers this for a moment. And he goes, oh, that's very interesting. Like, he just had this aha moment. <laughs> uh, Mendez realizes that while the infection is a viral outbreak, it's not a bloodborne or airborne pathogen. And uh, But rather, it's in words. The words itself are infected. Language is the host to the virus. Now, let's just talk about that concept for a moment. That is a fucking horrifying concept. And, <laughs> like, I know it seems far-fetched, but, but think about it. There are sounds that can trigger responses in the human body. You know, if there, there, what is it? There, there's notes that are high enough that if you hear them, sometimes it'll cause people to pee themselves or poop themselves. Like it'll actually trigger a bowel release. Um, there are certain sounds like high pitch enough that will make you feel like you're going crazy. Like there are definitely like sounds that can fuck with the human body. So the concept that something could infect your mind through a sound is such a terrifying idea to me. <laughs> And the fact, like, it's the English language they find out. And, like, I even have, like, this this poem that I kind of wanted to read, but I don't know. Because the English language is so weird. You know, it's so hard for foreigners to learn it because there's so many exceptions to the rule. Right. Well, because with with English, there's 90% of our language deals with context clues. So, Mm -hmm. like, when when you're reading a sentence... You know, like you could have wind and wind in the same sentence, but they're spelled exactly the same way. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Or, or like or live um, or live. Live right. or live. Yeah. Yep. Yep. 
So, and, you know, read and read. <laughs> it's like, same way. But like, yeah, there's there's a lot of that in the English language. And then there's, there's that one um, famous clip online where you see a person pointing at, like, a, I forget what, where she comes from, but she's pointing at a map and she goes, okay, America, explain this. Why is Kansas pronounced Kansas, but Arkansas is not Arkansas? Why is it Arkansas and it's spelled <laughs> Arkansas? And it's like, that, that's very true. Like, there are so many things in our language where just a couple, like, like letters are, per, there's, there's multiple words where it'll have the same letter multiple times in that word and all of the letters are pronounced differently. You know, so it's like it's it's so interesting the way that that happens. So it it makes sense that the English language would be the one to get infected. Should I read the the pronunciation poem? Absolutely, go for it. Okay, hopefully I don't cough in the middle of this. Everybody, bear with me. <laughs> I take it you already know of tough bow cough and dough. Otherwise, others may stumble, but not you. Oh, hiccup though, laughing through, well done, and now you wish, perhaps, to learn of less familiar traps. Beware of heard a dreadful word that looks like bread and sounds like bird. And dead, it's said, like bed, not bead. And for goodness sakes, don't call it deed. Watch out for meat and great and threat. They rhyme with suit, straight, and debt. A moth is not the moth in mother, nor boar in brother. Broth in, or broth in brother, and here is not a match for thee, nor deer and fear, nor bear and pear. And then there's dose, rose, and loose. Just look them up, and goose, chose, and cork, and wark, and card, and ward, and front, and font, and word, and sword, and do and go and threat and cart. Come, come, I hardly made a start. A dreadful language, man alive. I mastered it when I was five. That's yeah. fucking awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I dig it. Thank you. That was, that was great. I'll actually send it to if you want to post it with, uh, with the episode. Yeah, no, definitely. Because <laughs> uh, this will be going live Monday. So, yeah, just uh, send me uh, you know, a, a message about it, and I'll make sure... When I post it, I'll, I'll post that in the comments. Cool. Sweet. <laughs> but no, you're 100% right. It is it is a crazy language, you know, and, and it's funny um, to, to think like, you know, it is one of it's it's one of the most dominant languages on the planet. But it's like it's also one of the most tricky languages on the planet. It's chaos. There's literally everything taken from every. It's kind of like America mixing pot, you know. Mm -hmm. yeah. Oh, absolutely. And then you also have to take in time frame. Like when you're like I was trying uh -huh. to explain this to people, like when you're reading older books, like mm -hmm. just how how language changes and evolves over time. You know, it's like the slang that we use now is completely different than the slang we used in the early 2000s and completely different from what was used in the 90s and what was used in the 80s and, and so on and so forth. So if someone from like the 1800s were to travel to now, <laughs> they'd be like, oh. what the fuck? They wouldn't be able to communicate. <laughs> no, they'd be no, so for lost. Sure. <laughs> you know. And I find that infinitely fascinating that like our own language has evolved and changed and grown while it's still, it's still the same words, but we apply different meanings to those words, 
You know, it's like, because, and again, because slang is so ubiquitous, like we end up changing the meaning for words over and over again. So we can know like the word cool, for example, it can mean temperature. It can mean that you like something. It can mean, okay. <laughs> like it can mean so many different things. Like someone could <laughs> say like, you know, Hey, are you good? Cool. Like you mean, yes, I'm okay. I'm fine. You know, like there are so many ways to use it. And that again, it's all context clues. So it, it, yeah. it's kind of baffling when you start to break it down. And especially when you start to look at like, like I said, uh, eras. Um, but yeah, I find that I find that infinitely fascinating. But so that, I think that's one of the reasons why this movie clicked with me so well is because mm-hmm. the concept of infected language is so like creepy to me, um, but also kind of believable. <laughs> so I'm just like, oh, I don't know how I feel about this. Especially for them to say for the English one. <laughs> You're like, oh, okay. <laughs> exactly. It's like, ah, oh, shit, of course it's us. <laughs> <coughs> Ooh, pardon me. <clears throat> now, what but, about American Sign Language? See, I think they would be able to get away with that because they start writing. You know, they're they're you so like their eyes True. clearly aren't infecting it. So yeah, I think yeah. I think it's literally the sound. Like I think it's certain uh, certain sound effects or certain sounds uh, when you when well oh, he oh. even says yeah like when you understand the 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 word that's when the infection takes hold. Um. Yeah, like he says right here, Mendez goes on to say, not all words are infected, but some. He's like, when the infected speak the the infected word and someone else hears the word and understands it, that's when the virus takes hold. So so basically, if I say the word Pop-Tart, uh, and like let, let's say that word was infected, and I say the word Pop-Tart, and you understand that to be a crummy be- breakfast pastry, <laughs> you would become infected. If you didn't know what a pop tart is, if I said pop tart and you expected, uh, if you pictured like an exploding pastry, you would be fine mm-hmm. because yeah. you wouldn't understand the word and therefore you wouldn't become infected. So that I think that is a really interesting uh, caveat to the to this yeah. the rules. Definitely I, I like original. That. Yeah. You know? Well, and that's that's why I said like it reminded me of stuff like the signal and the cell because they use a sound to make people go crazy. Um, and whereas this, it's like, okay, it's the same idea. It's still a sound, but why? And it's like, ah, cause you have to understand it. If you understand it, it lets the virus in. It's like, Ooh, that's, that's a cool take on that. That's an interesting change up. And how he was saying like terms of endearment and stuff. I, I wonder if like that first radio announcement with the missing cat, honey, yep. and how he kept repeating honey, you know? Yep. Well, and that's the thing, uh, like, I don't know, they never explain why the terms of endearment are the uh, most prevalent, but maybe the virus latches onto those because people say them to each other so frequently. Yeah. You know, like, you're you're going to yeah. say stuff like, I love you to your family or to your, you know, mm-hmm. your partner or whatever, you know, like, you'll, you'll say those, you'll say like, babe, or honey, or sweetie, things like that. Um, so if those if those are the most commonly used phrases in a, in a group of individuals, so like a family, the virus is going to infect those words because it's going to have a better chance to spread. So it's like, that's really cool. Like I just, I, I think it's such a cool concept. And terrifying. Yeah. You yeah. Know, absolutely. At the same time, like definitely cool, but then like, man. And see, and that's why I give this movie so much credit because it's like, it's such a strange concept and it's so fucking freaky. Like, it's so effectively freaky. Um, 
but so Grant asks them if they should be talking at all. And Dr. Mendez looks at him and goes, no, probably not. <laughs> so we uh, we cut to the front doors where we see the infected breaking the doors open. Sydney tells Grant to, to cue up the Muzak and they should stop talking altogether. Sydney gets a call from her kids and, of course, talks to them after telling everybody, we're not going to talk. <laughs> uh and this is and use this like a million terms for some endearment too. Right. Because Dr. Mendez <laughs> is like, she should not be talking. <laughs> she should not be saying that. She's like, oh, honey, how's it going, sweetie? <laughs> it's like, oh, no. <laughs> yep. Um, so meanwhile, they watch as Laurel Ann repeatedly bashes her bloody face into the glass. She then goes over to the radio equipment in the back and starts gnawing on it for reasons uh, until we see like giant sparks and she turns around and her mouth is all sorts of fucked up. Uh, Loreland comes back to the window, stares at them for a moment, and then suddenly barfs up chunky blood all over the window and falls over dead. Mendez freaks out, realizing that this is what's happening. If they can't find a new host, that the, 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 this right here is the fate they're trying to escape. So basically, if they can't pass it, they're going to die. Just but don't then, they die even if they pass it? I don't think so because we see so many people getting infected. I think if they're if they're constantly passing it, they're they're it's almost like like a pressure that the way I was thinking it was like a pressure valve that they're passing it on and that's helping them to stay alive. Uh, yeah. At least that that's how I took it because we see so many infected um and they're not exploding but like like some that weren't passing it along were were dying like that. So I could be completely wrong. I'm just trying to make sense of it. <laughs> I know. I know. There's so much to it, you know? Right. Um, but uh, so after she, you know, pukes up the uh, the, the chunky blood all over the window, um, uh, the, the infected break into the station and start spilling into the room outside the sound booth. So Grant turns off the lights and he, Mendez and Sydney all sit in the dark and write down anything they want to say to each other. Grant asks, what do we do now? They decide to get on the speaker and announce Sydney Breyer is alive and loop it. Uh, hopefully, they're, they're trying to get, like, somebody to realize, hey, we need help in here. Um, but the message runs on the speakers outside the building and begins to draw the crowd back outside toward the sound. Um, while they're doing that, we hear the people just constantly repeating, Sydney Breyer is alive. Sydney Breyer is alive. <laughs> So Dr. Mendez starts to, uh, he, he, he takes a deep breath and he starts to get stuck on the word breathe. He's like, okay, we just got to breathe, 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 breathe. And he, he keeps clapping his hand over his mouth. So clearly something's not right with him too. Um, but before he can finish talking you know, say, or saying what he's saying, he begins muttering in another language. Now, I don't know what other language it is because the subtitles just said foreign language. <laughs> so I don't know where he was supposed to be from. <clears throat> But um, he then has another Eureka moment where he realizes that it's just the English language that's infected, like you said, Sam, um, and then goes back to babbling to himself rapidly. Grant and Sydney look at him and realize that he may, he may be infected and they got to get out. Sydney asks Grant if he speaks French, like, you know, she asks him in French and he tells her just a little. Um, so the doc tries to stop them from leaving, but they get out of the sound booth and leave him there. They make their way to the kitchen, and Sydney sees one of the infected girls from Lawrence and the Arabians just kind of chilling. 
And she goes, she yells, Grant, run now. And the little girl starts repeating that over and over, going, Grant, run now. Grant, run now. And she jump, jumps on uh, Sydney, tackling her to the ground. So Grant grabs the little girl, pulls her off of Sydney, and we pan over to the wall. So we don't see what's happening. We just hear grunting and stomping sounds. And when we pan back over, they're booting the shit out of the kid. <laughs> I left my ass up. I was like, holy shit, they're curb stomping her. What the fuck? Oh well, it's, it's them or her. Yeah, that's true. That's true. It was just really funny how they they panned away. Like, no, you don't need to see this. And then they're like, yeah, you do. And they come back <laughs> and show them still stomping. But uh, they look over at the sound booth where Dr. Mendez is talking to himself rapidly and think he may be dangerous. And then we get this wonderful little back and forth in French about who's going to kill the doctor. <laughs> <laughs> Which that cracked me up because she was like, "You killed the doctor," and he's like, "No, no, no, I, you know." He's like, "She goes, you killed the kid." He goes, "I didn't kill the kid. You killed the kid. You killed the doctor." <laughs> and she's like, "No, you killed the kid." He goes, "Okay, fine. I killed the kid. If I killed the kid, then you kill the doctor." <laughs> <laughs> but suddenly the power goes out, and when the generators kick back on, the sound system reboots and starts playing "Oh Canada" loudly from the speakers. Sydney and Grant scramble to shut it off as uh, the doctor comes out to yell at them to stop the noise. Eventually, they break the speaker, but it's too late. The infected are coming back in. The doc, Grant, and Sydney all lock themselves in a storage room. Uh, the doc grabs a crowbar and climbs out the window. At first, they think he's crazy, but then they hear him screaming, Sydney Breyer is alive, over and over again, which gets the attention of the infected, and he leads them away like the Pied Piper, trying to save Grant and Sydney. Some time passes and we see the two are just strapped in er, uh, strapped. Yeah. The two are just trapped in the storage room. Sydney is oh. getting. Oh, good. They could, <clears throat> they could have been strapped together. Who knows? <laughs> That's true. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> Sydney is getting drunk and writing apologies on the wall while Grant is repeatedly listening to the talk he had with Nigel, trying to figure out if there's any clues in that interview. He asks Sydney, how do you understand a, or how do you not understand a word? He goes on and on about how the doc said you have to understand the word for the word to infect you. But how do you stop yourself from understanding a word? Like if you already know what the word is, how do you not know what it is? Which that is kind of a, a, a crazy concept to think about. Like, how would you stop yourself from understanding something? Yeah, this whole thought process he goes through now is like brilliant. Oh, yeah, it it, 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 it kind of hurt my brain, though, thinking about it. I was like, Jesus Christ, that's that's insane, because um, he's like uh, Sydney tells him you have to kill the word that's killing you. Grant lights up saying that when he was a kid, he used to repeat words over and over and over again until they were almost incomprehensible. And what made what immediately popped into my head is the scene in Tommy Boy where they get stuck on the word roads. And they're like, huh. Roads, Roads, <laughs> Like I was like, I've done that before, where you say something so many times it starts to sound wrong to you. Um, he then says that what if the reason that they keep repeating things is an immune response? He's like, maybe it's their body trying to make the infected words incomprehensible so they can disinfect them. Which, that's kind of a crazy concept, too. Like, okay. The, but makes the, uh, sense. Right. It's like the the immune response to the infected word is to change the meaning of the word. Like it's ah, so brilliant, but so weird. So Sydney gets stuck on the word kill 
and keeps repeating herself. Um, Grant realizes that she's infected and tries to figure out a way out of this. He starts repeating over and over again, kill isn't kill, kill isn't kill, kill isn't kill. He starts saying kill is blue, kill is happiness, kill is a child, just randomly throwing out different meanings. Uh, you see Sydney kind of waffling and keeps repeating kill. Grant eventually says kill is kiss. And this triggers something in her. So she he repeats it over and over again, saying kill is kiss, kill is kiss, kill is kiss. And he looks at her and goes, what is kill? And she slowly responds like she almost has to like bark it out. She kiss. And then, you know, they look at each other and she realizes that she was able to overcome it. And then she says, kill me. And the two of them kiss. Um, she tells him that she feels better and realizes that whatever they just did, whatever they stumbled upon could be the cure. Grant starts heading for the sound booth saying they need to get the word out. Sydney tries to tell him that uh, he's getting ahead of himself. He doesn't even know what the hell he did just now and what, let alone if he can do it again. She tells him that they need to do like the doc said and stay quiet and safe. Grant continues toward the booth and she tells him, shit, Grant, we shut up or die. Grant tells her or turns and tells her people are already dying, Sid, and we've been playing Muzak. Do you really want to provide a genocide with elevator music? <laughs> I was like, OK, that was that was pretty funny. <laughs> Grant tells her that he's not sure what he did or if he can do it again, but he has to try. So he gets on the air and starts trying to figure out how to make people not understand the infected words, but doesn't know which words are infected. So he's basically just swinging blind. Uh, while this is happening, we hear helicopters overhead along with explosions. The whole place is becoming a war zone. We hear someone on a megaphone in French saying, Sidney Breyer, stop the broadcast. The man on the air is sick. Grant just continues on. He and Sidney just start shouting out different meanings for words until Sidney tells him it isn't working, Grant. They're just killing people. You know, we hear the gunfire outside. Grant starts yelling for the military to stop killing people. The explosions and gunfire stop, and Sydney thinks that everyone is dead. Grant continues on, and he says, you're just killing scared people. It's what you always do. You're killing scared people. You're like dogs. You smell fear and you pounce. Well, what the fuck happened today, folks? Someone took a buzzsaw to your middle, and they pulled out a wailing devil and spilled it right across your anthill. But you know what, friends? We were never making sense. We were never making sense. And today... Today, when Armageddon leached out of your good, good mornings, you know what? It's just another day, another day in Pontypool. The sun came up. You did what you did yesterday, and that's exactly what you'll do tomorrow. Today's news, folks, today's late breaking, developing just across my desk news story is this. It's not the end of the world. It's just the end of the day. This is Grant Mazzy for CS CLSY Radio Nowhere, and I'm still here, you cocksuckers. Sydney smiles at Grant, but her happiness is short-lived as they hear a countdown in French over the megaphone starting at 10. Sydney gets up and goes to Grant. She kisses him. The screen goes black, and we hear an explosion. Credits? Not quite the end, because <laughs> during the credits, we get a bunch of news reports talking. Oh, it was uh, so heartbreaking at the end there. Like He like was trying to tell them, like, hey, mm -hmm. how to fix this, and trying to say it. And obviously, the last few things he said, he's coherent. Yep. You know, but you don't know if the soldiers are actually still listening or not. You know, since yeah. they were like, oh, he's infected, they might have, you know, stopped listening at that point, or destroyed the speakers outside, or whatever. I think at that point, they were just like, no matter what, we're bombing this, we're, we're containing this. And, yeah. you know, 
Grant and Sydney were going to be casualties either way. Um, but yeah, during this this whole closing segment, we get all these eyewitness reports and military reports and news reports. Um, and then we close with we hear uh, a news reporter talking about the military having quelled the uprising in the small town of Pontypool, 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 Pontypool. So clearly the virus has spread. That's like, oh, that's fucked up. But wait, there's still more. <laughs> so I'm just going to read this because it's fucking weird as hell. Um, yeah. So I, I got I to gotta set the scene up. Sam, help me out here. So we see it's it's um, a black and white scene. And we see Grant and Sydney sitting. Dressed up. Yeah. Like she's like in a, like, um almost like a like an asian style dress with like the chopstick hairpins type thing um and then you have grant in like a three-piece suit with sunglasses and they're in looks like a bar of some kind and um (laughs) they they seriously look like they belong in sin city like it really did look like the same type of filming and um grant says let's get out of here sydney asks where are we going Grant goes, I can't play by the establishment rules any longer. My patience is worn thin. We're breaking the limits, stealing cars, and leaving the world behind to figure out what they believe is black and white. Sydney goes, but what about? Grant goes, what about, what about? (laughs) She goes, (laughs) he goes, it's not a good anti-establishment way to begin a question. Sydney goes, my name? Grant goes, my name too. Sydney goes, Johnny Deadeyes. He goes, hmm, Lisa the Killer. Sydney goes, where are we going, Johnny? to a new place that isn't even there yet and then then we steal the loot and knock boots in the free world baby okay okay baby then he puts his, his finger up to her lips and goes shh and it goes finn and i'm like what the fuck was that <laughs> it was so random it was so weird like you think of okay if maybe they survive like the bombing since they were in a sound studio so mm-hmm. totally possible you know Right. They might have been able to get out, but no, <laughs> totally different speed, totally shot differently. Like you don't know what's going on. They're not crawling out of a sound booth. No, <laughs> it was so fucking random. Oh my god! Like again, th- th- this was the f- like when I I watched it twice for this recording, and on that first watch uh, before I took my notes, when I was I was you know, making little notes of like, okay, in the credits, they're saying this, that, and the other, uh, make sure to listen to that. And then the credits ended, this happens. And I'm like, wait, what is this? <laughs> <laughs> Me too. I was like, wait, wait, what's going on? I was so fucking lost. <laughs> At first I'm like, yay, they crawled out of the rumble. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, no, it's just some weird art fuck nonsense. Totally. That's what I thought. I was like, man, this is some art fuck. <laughs> right. <laughs> Now, see, now speaking of language, there is a term that our group has popularized because back in the, I want to say it was the early 80s, they would refer to people uh, who were like, we all know this type of artist, you know, the artist that is so far up their own ass, they can wear themselves as a hat. Um, You know, they think that everything they do is brilliant and wonderful and blah, blah, blah. They're those, those types of artists that they paint a square on a piece of paper and they're like, it has a deep meaning. Like really? They does live it? for their art. Yeah. It's, it's a fucking square on a piece of paper, buddy. It's kind of like when years ago, when uh, at the first Blamo, when I made a steampunk 
Wilfred Brimley robot uh, money, the, the little vinyl figures. And that guy walked up to me and goes, what does this mean? <laughs> I went, uh, well. He's the robot. It's a robot. <laughs> I made it because I like robots. <laughs> and he looked like I slapped him. But they anyway. are neat. <laughs> yes, the the elite type of people. But those those people back in the eighties were referred by a very uh, unfortunate uh, slur of a name. Um, it was art followed by the fag word, which is a horrible terminology. But you know, because I had heard that growing up my whole life, I had heard that term in the reference to these types of artists, and at some point. I referred to those people as art fucks and I've always like I'm from teenagehood on up. Like I was like 14 referring to those people as art fucks and everyone in my circle just used the same terminology. And now it's just kind of spread. And I love the fact that we all just refer to those people as art fucks <laughs> <laughs> or anything like that, you know, just exactly like pure art for no sense. <laughs> Yeah, it's 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 the the whole I'm going to nail a toilet to a wall, you know, <laughs> like there was the I wish I could remember his name, but there was an artist um, who did this whole series where he had a toilet on the wall. Um, he had toilets on the ceiling like he had basically just putting toilets in weird places that toilets don't go. And that was his art. Um, there was another guy who literally sat in a booth for eight hours at a time whispering into the ear of a taxidermied rabbit and it was like i want to say that the the piece was something like telling telling the secrets of life to a rabbit or something like that and he would just it was performance art he would sit there and whisper to a, a taxidermied bunny for eight hours and people were like oh my god it's so intriguing it's like no no it's not it's all stupid. i could think is like yoko ono <laughs> yes yes <laughs> yoko ono I'm sure she did it but I, she was like a big you know she is 100% an art fuck. <laughs> 100%. Oh, my God. But and, and again, I'm not one to yuck someone else's yum. So it's like, if that is your style of art, hey, have fun with it. It's the yeah. pompous attitude that I can't stand. It's yeah. anytime someone gets that far up their own ass and takes themselves that seriously. It's like, come on. Like, I, I recently posted a thing on uh, on Facebook about um, horror fans. And about how, let me see if I can find it real quick. Um, it's, yeah, it says, I hate horror movie fans always saying shit like, have you seen Clown Town 4? It was straight to DVD and banned in Brazil. The ending is a 30-minute torture scene. It's honestly better than The Godfather. See, now, <laughs> I and, well, all three of us clearly are horror fans because uh, we've been doing this podcast for fucking forever. Um, but I have no delusions about quality cinema like i will i i guarantee you i would watch something called clown town 4 <laughs> i got no problem hey. with that whatsoever hey. but i'm not going to try to tell somebody that a movie like that is better than something like a cinematic masterpiece like the godfather now don't get me wrong i know plenty of people who don't like the godfather but the idea of good cinema versus trashy cinema isn't your enjoyment of it it's does it have mass appeal is it a is it something that a lot of people can watch and enjoy and is it something that you know, you don't need a bunch of backstory to understand. Like, for example, if you watch Puppet Master Axis of Evil, you better know all the other fucking Puppet Master movies. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, I mean, you might see a clip from one of them, so... <laughs> that's true. That is true. <laughs> but, like, 
like I often say, I have no problems with films like Sorority Babes and the Slimeball Bolorama. I fucking love that movie. I love I, that movie too. Absolutely. It's one of my, it's, 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 it's comfort food for me. I, I love like the movie. Like your chick from Zombie Town is great too. Oh, the Somebody fucking trauma. that way recently. Now, Somebody I'm, said it was good. I, 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 it might have been me, because uh, that movie, <laughs> I am not a fan of that movie, but I love watching it with a group. Because I've watched it with a group of people multiple times, and it's always uh-huh. funny. But sitting yeah. and watching it by myself, I don't enjoy it. Uh, sitting and watching it with, with a crowd, I fucking love it. Um, it's kind of like the movie Demon Wind. Like, Demon Wind, I could give two shits about. I've seen it a bunch of times. I'm like, meh, whatever. Seeing it with a crowd, I fucking love that movie. <laughs> because it's so much better with a crowd. But that's the thing. My favorite movie of all time is Return of the Living Dead. I'm under no delusions that that movie is a great film. Like, it's it's a fucking entertaining as all hell movie, and I love it. I love all the actors in it. I love the effects. I love the story. I love the music. Everything about Return of the Living Dead I love, which is why it's my favorite movie. But I'm not going to try to convince people that it's a better film than, like, Schindler's List, <laughs> you know, or The Godfather. <laughs> I'm not going to do that because it's just objectively not true. I might like it better, but that doesn't mean that it's objectively true. Yeah. So, and that's kind of what I was getting at with that post is, like, it's that's the difference between, you know, the art fuck and the artist who is making art that he likes. You know, if you're making it because that's your art and you enjoy it and it's for you, fucking have at it. God bless. But if you're like, I need to one up everybody and show how important and, and influential I am by nailing this toilet to a wall. It's like, shut the fuck up, please. Like, I can't stand that. I mean, that. were they usable toilets? No, they were just toilets Damn. he picked up at like Home Depot. <laughs> Now, granted, if they were like, hey, strap yourself into this, this sideways wall toilet and see if you can shit sideways. Okay, that's that's an interesting performance. <laughs> I'll accept that challenge. Exactly. <laughs> okay, give me some Mighty Taco and we'll see how long this yeah. takes. Let's see. Yeah. We'll, we'll be able to do this. It should shoot right down the head. No problem. <laughs> exactly. Just, just give me five minutes of privacy and a newspaper. I'm good. Oh, man. But yeah. I mean, overall, I really enjoyed this flick. I know, Maurice, you said that you found it kind of boring. Um, I got to ask, have you seen The Signal before? Uh, I might have. It sounds familiar, but I don't, I'm not sure. I'm curious if you would like that one, because I, I feel that one's a lot less cerebral. It's a similar concept, and it has a lot of really good actors in it. So I think just just for the the actors alone, you might be interested in it because I know that it's got a lot of people you dig in it, um, hmm. and it is very comical at points. Like it, it tells, it's not just one group of survivors; it's multiple little encampments of people. Like it's a bunch of different stories, and some of those stories are fucking hilarious. Like it's they're morbid, but they're really funny. Um, so I, I would definitely recommend that. It's just it's a cool it's a cool idea on like a zombie zombie outbreak kind of story like that this is basically yeah. a zombie outbreak movie hmm. but the zombies are i mean they they are eating people they did talk about cannibalism but the zombies are different than traditional zombies and it's the same way with the signal and the cell and stuff like that yeah they're not dead they're just their brains are infected yeah it's 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 the more traditional term of, of zombification where you're you're brain dead you have you have no uh control over your body you know, your your body is being controlled by something else. Um, 
but yeah, I, I, I really like this. Now, the, the trivia, there's not a ton, um, but the most obvious piece, I think, is that Pontypool was produced as both a motion picture and a radio play uh, because they were influenced by Orson Welles' infamous radio production of War of the Worlds. Um, the radio broadcast uh, was on the BBC, and uh, basically they, they it was a 58-minute broadcast uh, of Pontypool, and then they eventually decided, let's do a fucking movie of this. Um, I'd be interested to hear that. I know, me too. I was like, I think this would work really well as like a radio drama. But uh, um, let's see here. Yeah. Approximately 36 minutes into the movie, the character of Ken reports on a group of infected taking people from the van and biting them. We talked about that. Uh, the sound the victims screaming, the sound of the victims screaming is partially taken from the famous chestburster scene in Alien. So you can, uh, when John Hurt's character is, you know, when he gets the chest burst, um, you can hear the distinct hissing sound of the alien mixed in with the people. So they, they took a little clip of all the, the crew of the Nostromo screaming and used that yeah. in the background looped with all the uh, infected. Nice. So I thought that, thought that was interesting. Um, let's see. Yeah, one scene features uh, Neil Stevenson's novel Snow Crash, uh, a book featuring an earworm or um, um, a mem- uh, memtic virus that transfers itself through verbal information. Now, I've never read the book Snow Crash, but I'm definitely putting it on my list because I like this concept a lot. And I think that that, you know, hey, if there's another story like this, I'm, I'm going to check it out. So especially if it's on Audible and then I could just listen to it while I'm drawing. <laughs> but uh, I already mentioned that Stephen McCaddy and Lisa Hool are actually married in real life. Um, oh, the writer, Tony Burgess, and the director, Bruce McDonald, are intending to include more exposition for two planned sequels. So they have a Pontypool 2 and 3 planned. Um, the uh, second and third film in the series were actually conceived before this one. So they figured out the bigger parts of the story before they did the quieter part with this. And uh, let's see here. Yeah, toward the end of the film, uh, when the camera briefly shows the whiteboard with the two cherubs on it, we see the two uh, Valentine decorations. Uh, Among the many words and phrases on the board are leave, always eat meat, and gorgeous winter death. (laughs) So I thought thought that was kind of interesting that they threw those in there, just like, ah, this is in the background. No one's going to (laughs) notice. But overall, I had a blast with this flick. You guys have any any closing statements on on the movie? Nope. Nope. <laughs> um, yeah, Maurice, I, I feel bad. Like I, I keep feeling like every time I pick movies, <laughs> you know, I find stuff Maurice, you don't like. Just like, ugh. Well, you didn't pick them. The people voted for it, so. Well, true, true. But I, I mean, I did, I did pick the list. So, and I know our next movie is uh, not on, not high up on your list either. <laughs> so I'm just going to apologize in advance. But um, before we get into our our, uh, our social media and stuff, um, I do want to say here, I'm, I already announced it on Patreon, but uh, we are going to be taking an extended break from the Boogeyman's Closet. Uh, I will I will post about this again on social media and uh, talk about it on our last episode before our hiatus. But long story short, I have a lot of deadlines crashing down on me and I have to get 
a lot of stuff done in the next couple of months, uh, a lot of artwork done. And unfortunately, this show takes me anywhere between 12 and 14 hours a week uh, to make sure that everything is done properly. And uh, just like the prep work, the recording time, the editing time, all that. So I just I'm not going to have the time for a couple of months. So it's totally it's because of me that we'll be taking a break. Um, but we will be coming back. So it's not it's not permanent. Uh, and it we'll, gives you guys time to listen to old episodes. So everybody should listen to all the old episodes. Exactly. I was going to point out, I was like, we're, we're almost at 300 episodes total. Like totally. we're only, yep. we're only on episode 210, but we've done so many specials. So we're almost at 300. Um, plus there's all sorts of other great podcasts on the Rad Pantheon network, which we will get to. Um, but yeah, like, so we'll, we'll be off probably until July, uh, starting in March. Now we are, we do have several episodes still planned. Um, so there's not going to be weekly episodes, but we will be uh, doing, there's a couple of Patreon birthday episodes. So those will be coming out to the main feed. Um, there's also a couple of Patreon backer episodes that'll be coming out. So there's going to be at least three or four episodes uh, for Patreon stuff that will hit the main feed. Um, and then we have our anniversary special will be coming out. And there's one other special that I'm, toying with that if we have time i might throw out there so we might still have at least an episode or two a month but it won't be our weekly episodes um and god willing we will be back in july the absolute latest will be august um and unfortunately if that happens i i, I do feel really bad but uh i just i gotta make sure i meet these deadlines and um i will be pausing all patreon uh payments through that entire time now i'm still going to be doing the artwork you still will get all of the stuff you normally get from patreon um so that's not going to pause you just won't be paying for it so basically look at it as you are getting a, a massive discount off of the artwork that you will be sent at the end of the year um you'll still get your yearly gift and all that stuff so none of that stuff is getting paused just a couple of months for episode like normal episode releases uh but we will be back and i'm not pausing uh, raised by rentals or count creepyhead as i just have to i'm just a part of those shows i don't have to produce them so i will still be involved with those those shows will still be going on and i will be launching the uh, member berries and munchies podcast with josh hibbard that will be coming out hopefully soon i i'm unfortunately uh dealing with some technical issues on the uh piece of artwork that i'm trying to do for the logo uh, i screwed the title you settled on yeah, member berries and munchies. It's a mess. Remember the member berries painting that you did for me and Travis for our anniversary? Absolutely. <laughs> I, I I loved doing that. I thought that was fun. <laughs> it was fun. But yeah, we uh, for anyone that doesn't know what that show is going to be about, basically Josh and I are going to uh, partake in some edibles, and uh, each week we will have a handful of munchies that we will talk about that we're eating. And then we're just going to go on trips down memory lane. And um, it's, it's pretty interesting. <laughs> I've, I've listened back will to the first episode. Will there be guest stars? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Uh, the only caveat though, is people got to get high. <laughs> Already there. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Uh, I know our friend Danielle wants to be on it uh, very, very soon. As soon as we get up and running. Um, which is, is, is pretty fair because uh, she has already been privy to Josh and I incoherently rambling while high on Discord. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
but yeah, so that'll be coming out soon. Hopefully I'll have the logo and the uh, domain all set up very shortly. Um, so all of that will be still be happening. But like I said, the boogeyman's closet will be taking a hiatus. I just wanted to get out in front of that before, uh, you know, before I forget. So with that being said, if you're not following us on social media, we are the Boogeyman's Closet on both Facebook and Instagram. Uh, we do have a Patreon, as I mentioned, and it's going to be getting paused, but you can still join. Still, You'll still be eligible for the artwork for the year. Um, you just won't be paying until at least July or August. Um, but it's $3 a month for all of our unedited episodes, and the higher tiers uh, will get you artwork and stuff like birthday episodes. Um, we are part of the Rad Pantheon Network, which uh, so check out radpantheon.com and Rad Pantheon on all the socials for other podcasts like this, as well as artists and musicians doing rad stuff. No art fucks to be seen anywhere. <laughs> they are all awesome artists. <laughs> and one of those creators on the Rad Pantheon Network is our friend Sam. So, Sam, I'm going to toss it over to you for any plugs that you might want to give. Uh, so, Google Western New York Horror Crew, W-N-Y-H-O-R-R-O-R-K-R-U-E, like Freddy Krueger. And that will send us to our link trees, social medias, and website, and you can purchase some stuff. Or find something else that you might be interested that you want to follow. And then as soon as the uh, Hollow Creek hot sauces are up on the web, we will definitely be announcing that ASAP. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and you can get your Hollow Creek Farm hot sauces at So Fluffy Kittens at the McKinley Mall at the Old Food Court. And guys, we've said it so many times, but don't sleep on this. It's good stuff. <laughs> so even when I had COVID, I was using it and I could taste it. So I was happy because I couldn't taste a lot, <laughs> but I used the, the habanero hot sauce on my rice and I'm like, Ooh, I can taste that still. Yay. Yay. <laughs> but uh, so for anyone who is wondering what our next movie is going to be and the reason that I apologize to Maurice already, um, our next episode is two eleven. It is going to be Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the Netflix 2022 edition. So <laughs> we'll be checking that one off the list soon but uh <laughs> oh i know i know i'm gonna be odd man out on that episode because I, I know you and Susie both were not we're not fans <laughs> so oh i forgot to mention too the uh, next event that western new york horror crew was going to be part of that i mentioned on cow creepy ads has been canceled so oh, no! there is not an event for march 15th uh, but that's we a bummer. should be at a movie showing in april I'll get more details on that. That's all I have so far. So, okay, cool. Yeah, just um, you know, when whenever you get the the details, just let us know, and we can always throw it up on the on the website or on the Facebook and Instagram. Okay, nice. But alrighty, folks. So I think we're gonna we're gonna wrap it up here. But uh, thank you all for listening. And uh, as always, this is Mike saying goodbye. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed what you heard, follow us on Instagram at the Boogeyman's Closet, where you can stay up to date with everything we have planned. <laughs>